all weirdos. Welcome all you weirdos, mutants with anti-hangover healing factors, and everyone asking the musical X-Force question, should older Quentin be forgot and never brought to mind? It is time for episode number 79 of your Weird Dose of X. I'm your contagious host Jason, broadcasting today from level 42 quarantine, as I ended my 2023 by picking up a case of the techno-organic COVIDs. And joining me today from the ruins of Sinister's lab, or, or maybe he just hasn't cleaned up his office in a while, is my pal Ruben. Hey Ruben, how the heck are you? Doing great. Um, made it through another Christmas, which is a big deal for any parents. <laughs> and then I very quickly pulled all the lights and all other decorations away, and I guess I got a, a bit of a Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like to let it linger, huh? No, no. It, the New Year started, we're starting off strong, and that means Christmas is in the past. Well, well, for me, it's always it's always like Christmas, and then a week later is New Year's, and a week after New Year's Day is my birthday. So for me, the Christmas season never actually ends until after January 8th. So for me, I've got at least another week. And again, I'm hoping to actually be feeling a little bit better and uh, not be locked away in my office by the time my birthday rolls around. So that'd be nice. Yeah. I had a birthday on the 30th, so oh, happy I feel you. The uh, holiday mm-hmm. birthday mm-hmm. is not so fun, but I got some more Funkos. My Daughters both bought me, and they're three and six. They bought me Batman Funkos, which they know me pretty well, which is great. <laughs> nice. I got a couple anime books, but they're like academic literary criticism ac- anime books. So I want to get into them, but it's like the bibliography is about a third of the length of the actual book, one of those academic type texts. So I'll, I'll have to be in a, a you know better uh, better health to really dig into that. Yeah, uh, this is really boring, I'm sure, to others, but. One year, my wife bought me a uh, collection of legal uh, cases related to comic books. Oh, romantic. It sounds extremely cool, but it is, even for a lawyer like myself, (laughs) it was extremely dense. That'd be gone, yeah. I think I've, like, I opened the cover (laughs) and then promptly closed it. (laughs) I like having the book more than I like reading the book. For sure. Uh, There are some books we did like to read this week, and the new books this week we're going to talk about are X-Force number 47. And Immortal X-Men number 18. But first, we're going to talk about two other books. We're going to talk about Uncanny Spider-Man number five, which uh, we did talk about last week, but there were technical glitches, and I think Jim put in the show notes, he had to cut it. So we like that book a lot, so we're going to spend like two minutes just saying, hey, go read that book. And then we're going to talk about the latest Marvel Timeless issue, which isn't even really an X thing, but uh, Jim couldn't be bothered to cover it, so he kicked it over to our little podcast for that service. Sound like a good time? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. Let's go in, and I need to hit this ding sound to talk about Uncanny Spider-Man number 505, Fade to Blue, written by Cy Spurrier, uh, art by Lee Garbett and Simone Buonfantino, colors by Matt Miller, letters by Joe Caramagna, designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. So yeah, this was our favorite book last week by far. It was a bummer it had to be cut out. We spent the whole early part of the podcast saying, oh, this stinks, this sucks. This was a waste of time. And the idea was for the arc to be at the end, aha, here's like the happy ending, but that it didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, we we're definitely on. in the Christmas spirit, right? That's pretty hilarious. Recording <laughs> works like, it was a positive sucks. note. Yeah. yeah. Well, 2023 but, was not a great year. So let's start out 2024 strong with positivity, right. right? So the very quick plot summary is that while it looked like Silver Saber had, Silver Sable had sold Nightcrawler out to Orcus, in reality, they were in on a shenanigan together. They had previously taken out the disloyal Kramer, that's the guy who had pulled the gun on Sable last issue. They disguised Kurt as Kramer and had Mystique get all mystiqued up to pretend to be Kurt. She even passed Orcus's Y chromosome screaming te- screening test because it was already established she could alter chromosomes however she wants. I mean, she was able to father a child, for instance. So that was a really cool little twist. You enjoyed that as much as I did, I believe? I did, yeah. Good stuff. So, and I also enjoyed mm-hmm. the real badass reveal where, you know, she morphs her chest away and she's got some hidden guns in there. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about she's got guns like she's stacked. She had actual yeah, firearms, yeah, yeah. which again was set up earlier where they had mentioned an aside somewhere that she can create like cavities inside her body to, to hide stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. It made me think of The Matrix, you know, when Neo walks into the bank and he's got a ridiculous amount of weapons hidden on his body. So this is like the mutant version of that for me, at least. Very cool. 
So the other big reveal is that the possibly hallucinatory Banff that we've seen Kurt talking to, not a hallucination, it's actually a fragment of Legion. And it's Legion's power that's been hiding Kurt from the Sentinel mutant detectors. Which is very cool. Very cool. Because you know he could do it. He could do pretty much anything. You know he could do it, and it makes sense, not really within the arc of Uncanny Spider-Man, but within the arc of the Cy Spurrier Nightcrawler saga, right? Because that was all about uh, Legion at first, and then Legion went away. So from that perspective, to see him kind of come back at the end makes perfect sense. It's kind of simple. I, it, that's a good explanation in my mind, these kinds of things, because Legion is kind of a MacGuffin anyways, but he's easy enough to put away, right? Like, you don't have to say, oh, Nightcrawler can avoid detection, right? Like, he's got some new mutant power, which is what I was afraid. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like this was going to be like, oh, it's the Hope Sword, right? And I was going to be like, well, I already don't really like the Hope Sword. I would have been like, what the hell? Like, how does that sword make you invisible to detection? Mm-hmm. But totally fine to say like, oh, yeah, it's just Legion. There's certain concepts in X lore where you just have to point to it and say, because of that, right? Yeah. Because of Legion, okay, fine. Because of the White Hot Room, fine. We'll just got to go yes. with it. That, that'll come up again later. So yeah, we didn't need to multiply weird stuff. We have this already existing weird stuff that, that works perfectly well. So pretty cool. Uh, the rest of the Legion, by the way, is also hiding within Kurt's heart, which is maybe a little bit too size-sparrier for me, <laughs> but it gets you a yeah, place to come back it. to. Late, you know, as we get into the fall of the House of X type stuff, if we need Legion to come back and be a heavy, he's around. Okay, Plus, the rest I don't of know. It, I mean, mm-hmm. they were living in his brain, and now he's living in Kurt's heart. I could deal with it. <laughs> that's true. I, that's Legion's a nice a little parallelism. I don't thought of that. I like it. <laughs> so the rest of the plot, uh, long story short, our heroes beat up on Orcus, they free Warlock, and they retrieve the techno-organic bits of Warlock that had been used to create the Hounds and to power up Vulture. At the end, Kurt decides he doesn't need to be Spider-Man anymore. Mystique goes her own way with Warlock, which is an odd pairing. And uh, Mystique and Kurt decide they'll team up again if and when it's time to strike at Orcus directly, possibly in a week or two. Who knows? And Silver Sable and Kurt seem to continue to have a relationship, at least for now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Kurt is not uh, notably a a long-time one-woman kind of guy. But uh, yeah, it's nice to see these two crazy kids giving it a shot. So a very satisfying book. Reveals all made sense and made the prior issues retroactively even better, which I love to see in the finale of the miniseries. Uh, I was I was maybe a little too enthusiastic on my score last week, but you know, I'm going to stick with the rating I gave it, which was an 8.8 out of 10. Ruben, where are you on this book? Yeah, I think I said 8. I don't know, eight five or so. Yep, that's it was very had. good. I was very happy with with this book, and uh, it ended on a strong note. I think maybe the issue before this, it was a dip a little bit, but I, I'm always more impressed when you land a solid ending than pretty much anything else, because that seems to be the hardest thing in comics to do. Yeah, and, so, and once I again, it. I think this book made issue four retroactively better, which is always cool. All right, moving on to our second book, which is Timeless 2023, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Art by Juan Cabal, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by Travis Lanham. In the book, it says Travis Lantham with a T, which really confused me because if anybody's name is going to be spelled correctly, you'd think it would be the letterer. Very weird. Just, you know, this is an odd, I, if anybody's name is misspelled, typos happen, but if it's his job to write his own name, it made me actually look up, oh, is he changing his name? Did he go back to something? No, I, I think it was just a plain old typo. Oh, well. Uh, but more importantly, uh, talk about the actual book. Marvel has been doing these timeless books for, I think this is the third one. Is that correct? Uh, I, I think it's a cool name because, of course, before Marvel was Marvel, it was Timely Comics. So to have a little wink-wink back at this being timeless, I think that's a, a, a cool idea. Uh, what they do in these books is you get some sort of timey-wimey story that also creates an excuse to throw in background teaser images for upcoming storylines across all of Marvel titles for, like, the next year. And they don't always actually happen because, you know, comic books change, but you sometimes get some hints as to what's coming up. Yeah, the last two have been tied to Kang, and so I was a little disappointed that this one was just completely (laughs) unrelated to any sort of Kang thing, because it, it feels a little more natural to have him involved in, you know, seeing the future or past or whatever, but... It's okay. He was a, a good character to use. Uh, I think Marvel in general would like to everyone to kind of forget Kang Step for a little while yeah. for you know reasons external to the comics. So probably just a coincidence. But here we're talking about not Kang. We're talking about uh, the heroes for hire, Luke Cage and Danny Rand, which is 
about as far from Kang as you can get. Yes. So I think first we're going to talk about the main story, just what happened in like the plot of this book. And then we'll go back and, you know, take a, a magnifying glass to those teaser pages and see what yeah. we can find there. Sound good? Not much. I <laughs> My knowledge to, to Marvel is pretty much in the X X realm. And so and there, I, I look at a lot of pictures and I'm just there. like, yeah, there's there's those. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But everything else, I'm like, I don't know what this is. I, 50-50 whether I'll even know who the characters okay. are. I, I, I did some digging. You can tell me if you think uh, any of this makes sense. So okay. this story itself. Uh, this story is set in, I guess we'll call it a possible future, right? Uh, it's Again, it's really Heroes for Heroes for Hire story about the relationship between Luke Cage and Danny Rand. And uh, Lansing and Kelly really want to draw on that emotional tie between them. I don't know if they're quite successful, but that's like what everything here is, is to balanced on. Yeah, so we have some like yesterdays and tomorrows that I don't think really mean that it's two days apart. I, no, it has to be like a much like more stretched timeline. <laughs> yeah, it, something. This is in the far future. People look old. Weird things have happened. We're not even supposed to think about exactly how far. It's just some possible future. Uh, in this future, Danny has fallen under the influence of Khonshu, the Egyptianish moon god from Moon Knight, and Luke is out to stop Khonshu from building a quote sacrifice machine. Which will uh, kill everybody on the planet? Yeah, that seems for bad. reasons. <laughs> right now, the book doesn't say so in so many words, but it really seems like Khonshu is trying to become a dominion. Yeah, feel something like, that? like that. Yeah, yeah, he's like sacrificing all the people on Earth to become super godlike powerful. Well, trans godlike powerful. He's already a god. So yeah, basically dominion. Lansing and Kelly are also having some fun with the name Power Man. I think by giving Luke several additional huge powers. Right, he's all these powers, man. Uh, we're so this is the seemingly big point of this, right? Because we were debating, like, is this upgraded Power Man in the 616 current continuity now? And I think the answer is yes. That's my crazy, wild speculation. But he's wild, right? He's got, he's, so he's Luke Cage. He's got, what, Iron Fist, Hulk, and Sentry, Sentry like powers. <laughs> That's pretty I mean, good. Iron Fist seems like pretty, I mean, Iron Fist is cool, but next to Sentry and Hulk powers, like, yeah. Iron Fist too, why not? Uh, yeah, and we don't learn the circumstances of how Luke gained any of these powers. It's just kind of presented as, yeah, sometime in the weird weirdness between now and then, he accumulated all these powers. So the bulk of this issue is an extended fight between Luke and Danny. And I think this would have been more emotionally effective if we had any idea why Danny made the choice to hook up with Team Khonshu. <laughs> yeah. Right? We're not given any, oh, I had to because, oh, it was the only way it would have been worth. We, we need, like, the first, is like the, this is the last scene in the last movie of a trilogy, and we haven't seen any of the rest of the trilogy, and we don't know, like, so why did the, why did the bad guy do what he did? Also, but, for somebody like me, who's only loosely familiar with Moon Knight based on the little TV series they had, and that's basically all I know about him, I needed a little more insight into, like, why Conchu's full-on bad guy. Like, he came off as, like, justice and maybe, like, not for modern, modern times like execution of justice but like he didn't seem like he was a bad guy and in this he's like i'm just gonna sacrifice everybody for power sure. right? I mean, he has tried to kind of take over there was that whole arc of uh the avengers when Khonshu took over the world so you know he, he has that in him but we don't know what he's trying to accomplish here besides you know power yeah, i'm just saying for somebody like me i would have helped to get a little bit more insight into who he is and why he's full up patty but and like you said, maybe you could have combined that with explaining how Luke joined, or not Luke, yeah, but we don't uh, need a Danny lot because this is only a, a forty-page one shot. We don't need any long. We don't need to be any longer. But yeah, some little flashback or even little text, something to make us understand why any of this is happening would have been nice. So to hit the high points of the fight, Danny cuts off Old Man Power Man's right arm. Luke uses his left arm to beat the stupid out of Danny until Danny comes back to what remains of his senses. Luke has then to fight uh, Khonshu directly. Luke hits Khonshu with a super dragon punch, which defeats Khonshu, but also sends Luke traveling backwards through time. It appears that Luke winds up basically in the current 616, out in space somewhere around Jupiter, which that's what, what leaves, out the po leaves open the possibility of this old man power man showing up in a current book. Uh, what are Lansing and Kelly writing these days? Are they still writing Guardians of the Galaxy or is that finished up? They're still writing Guardians, but supposedly they're switching over to Avengers pretty soon to take over. Uh, I think they're finishing up the, at least that's what I've heard. I think they're finishing up the, what is his name? Um, Murden 
story that's going on right now okay, with so Kang. Maybe if Luke's going to show up anywhere, then I would expect it to be in one of their books. So maybe he'll be in Avengers. I mean, this old man, power man, superpowers, missing an arm version of, of Luke Cage. Yeah, it seems like he just shows up to try to stop this future from happening, right? That's what I would assume is going to be the plot. Certainly could be. I mean, he doesn't have to, right? This could be one of those things that's just kind of left as is, and maybe there's no real plan for him, but he's floating out there in case another writer ever wants to pick him up. I think he can buddy up with General Strange. That would be cool. Okay, so that's that's the main story. Now for the teaser images. These occur when Luke Cage is kind of thinking back to his own past, which is, of course, our future. These are pages 9, 17, 23, and 37. Okay, so page 9. Uh, we start off with Moon Knight, or at least a Moon Knight, because the regular Moonlight uh, is just died in the Moon Knight book, and we're going to get a new Moon Knight. So I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be our first kind of look at the new, you know, Fist of Khonshu Moon Knight. And here he's just kind of uh, beating up on some middle-aged, balding white dudes. So not a lot of, you know, story there, but hey, if you want to say you own the first appearance of the new Moon Knight, you can argue that he's in this book. Have you seen the black uniform in the main Moon Knight book? Because maybe that's a thing. No, we have not seen anything from the, the new Moon Knight line. We, we, we just saw... Uh, Mark die. So maybe that's supposed to be the wow moment as well. You can see the new outfit. Could be. It looks, yeah, it looks black. It looks kind of, I don't know, almost Star Wars-y with the, the helmet there. And he's got uh, like a crescent moon on a stick that he's beating people up with. Okay, the next image is, well, it's someone in a Nova Corps uniform. Do you recognize which Nova that is? I do not. That better not be Robbie <laughs> because they would have like seriously de-aged him. Plus, like, that version having a relationship with Gamora would be really bizarre to me. Gamora? Is that who you think is in the background there? No, that's no, not in the picture. I, I just mean, historically, they had a relationship like around the Annihilation era, and he was, yeah. Any, anyways, that doesn't look like Robbie Ryder to me. Okay, he's, he's cut off. We only see him from the chin down, so we don't know who it is. And behind him, there's a purple guy who I think might be Thane, the inhuman son of Thanos. Uh, I picked that up off the internet. I have never said that guy's name before. I have any idea who he is, but people tell me, oh, yeah. And when I, when I Googled him, he has the same look. He has that kind of black widow's peak in the middle of his forehead, and he looks kind of like a, a young Thanos. So if you're a big Thane fan out there, maybe you've got some content coming. Okay, next image. It looks like Hank Pym merged with Ultron, leading some villain types down a city street. Which they look like zombies of- to me, which makes me think this is Marvel Zombies. They've got a zombie look to them, but they also look kind of serpenty. They got like almost like a, I guess, serpent society thing going on, maybe. Uh, it looks like maybe Batrock is there on the left, and one of them looks like the Spider Man villain Squid. I just think their hands are out like to the zombie walk. Yeah, they so are, I'm going to claim it's zombies. Marvel zombies. Could be. But Ultron zombies? So maybe this is not even in the main 616. Maybe it's a, yeah. a side story. I think because so. Hank Pym and Ultron are back in Avengers Inc., but that's a book that got cut off. Are they still merged or are they separated? They are separated at the moment, but uh, Ultron is trying to do his Ultron bad stuff, so who knows? Okay, next we have a guy with glowing red eyes reading a copy of Immortal Thor number one. So I'm pretty sure this guy is Dario Agar, aka the Minotaur. Uh, Agar or Agar, he was an enemy of Hulk and Ewing's Immortal Hulk, if you read that book. And he showed up recently in Immortal Thor as well. So it looks like some sort of meta-fictional comic book character reads a comic book thing going on with uh, with Al Ewing. Which, you know, that could happen. Next, we have an image of the old-school Green Goblin. So maybe Norman Osborn going to revert back to form. Yeah. Nothing really to add there. Shock. Uh, <laughs> we knew he was going back eventually. But I've kind of enjoyed... Uh, Norman Osborn trying to go straight. I think he's been a fun character. Not quite as good as you know when Doc Ock was trying to be a good guy, but, but still pretty good. Now we have a very strange image. It's the Fantastic Four with Ben Grimm digging a hole while the other three kind of look on and Johnny Flame uses, Johnny Storm uses his flame to provide light. It looks like Ben's digging up a grave in front of a tombstone. Yeah, I'm not sure who that might be. Don't know. Yeah, that's that's creepy. Actually, there's two. It looks like there's two. I hope the kids didn't die. <laughs> yeah, the, it looks like, yeah, the one off to his left maybe has already been dug up. Maybe they're looking for something. Don't maybe. Know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's, it's a, more digging, digging up because there's he's grass. He's digging small hole. Or maybe, or maybe that's the pile of dirt that he dug up from the hole he's already digging. 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out eventually. Uh, and finally on this page, we see Hulk fighting Blade. Yeah, this is hilarious to me. There's no way Blade would stand any chance against the Hulk. I'm like, this is not a fight. This is Blade it getting his like ass kicked. It seems like a mismatch. Yeah, I mean, this is Hulk with oddly long black hair. Yeah. I don't know if that's a clue to anything. Uh, uh, who knows? Hulk versus Blade uh, coming soon to a comic book stand. That's, that's the end of this page. Next, we're on to page 17. In this first image, uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be literal or symbolic, but it looks like a kaiju-sized tombstone walking through New York City, which would be an odd outcome for the current Gang Wars event if he goes all kaiju-sized. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those like we've seen in like Immortal X-Men where the bad guy has a model of the city yeah. and we're seeing up. I, don't I was know. thinking it was more like symbolic, like, oh, he's the winner and now he looms over the city with his influence, that kind of thing. He is the most interesting of all the, uh, the gang leaders in Gang Wars, so I hope he wins. Next image, one of my favorite characters, it's Dr. Doom, and he's wearing Dr. Strange's cloak, and he's holding up what I'm going to guess is the Eye of Agamotto, with various Avengers kneeling before him. So, does Dr. Doom finally get to be Sorcerer Supreme? Yeah, He really wanted to back when Dr. Strange died, and... uh, his wife got it instead, so maybe it's finally Doomsday's turn. Yeah, and I this maybe finally will pay off the thing that's been lingering for me is when he got all of Dormammu's power into his armor. I've not seen him use oh, right. that. Right, but that, that was, was like my, a year that was a or so whole, ago. He was in hell and got all that power. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that that was the the last. What is it? Last annihilation or final annihilation? Whatever that was um, that Ewing did with ending his Guardians run. I see. Cool. Yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, next, we have an actual X-related uh, image here. We see a prisoner locked down in an insane amount of restraints, just covered in, in metal, whether it's steel or mysterium or whatever. No part of the person actually visible. The text says, warning, danger room. No admittance. Prisoner X in lockdown. So danger room and X, that definitely makes us think you know, X-Men related. So the most boring answer here would be, this is just Cyclops and Orcus custody. Because we know he's going on trial. I don't, I don't think that's what it is. This is probably further down the road. I'm guessing something from the, the next Tom Braveheart era. Professor X? Is Professor X imprisoned for, you know, being a, a I don't know, Dumbass. war criminal enemy of the <laughs> planet? <laughs> Dumbass, yeah. <laughs> Professor X is a jerk. We already know that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, it looks like something bad is going to happen with uh, Professor X completely locked up. You know, kind of like Magneto was in his famous, you know, glass lined mm-hmm. prison cell. Mm-hmm. All right, next image. It's just uh well, it's just Miles Morales Spider-Man sinking into some kind of red and black goo like Arnold at the end of Terminator 2. Oh, before we go on, I just had a horrible thought. Uh-oh. Hit me with it. It's a danger room, right? That that gives you virtual reality. It says danger room, whether it means danger room or danger room, who knows. Yeah, what if Brevoort's maneuver is just to be like, "Oh, all of <laughs> the Krakoa oh, no. era was like a danger room simulation with Professor X in lockdown. Oh, no. And that's it how was they just all, get, all inside just the snow away. globe, right? Yes. Just like that kid at the end of St. Elsewhere. That would, I don't think they'd do something that dumb, but uh, hey, they might. So I don't think there's anything really we can say about the Miles Morales panel. He's uh, he's Miles Morales and he's sinking into some goop. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about that. Next we have, it's Avengers fighting vampires, which uh, this has got to be from that Blood Hunt event that's coming in May. So, yep, we know that. That's already a thing we know is coming. So Avengers are going to fight vampires. Uh, now we have, it's Venom. And who is Venom fighting in this image? Some kind of black, demonic, animal creature? I recognize this guy at all? Uh, not, not really. The best I could think of is there was like that, uh, was it Black Blackheart or something like that? He was like a inhuman. But I don't even know if this is the if it looks like him or not. Just yeah, reminds me of him. No idea. I have not kept up with Venom for well since Jim and I stopped reviewing it on the podcast. So I don't know what's up with him. And finally on this page, we see the spirit of vengeance flying out of somebody's face, probably Johnny Blaze. Yeah, it's probably going uh, somewhere else. Yeah, it looks like this the spirit of vengeance leaving Johnny Blaze, I guess is the storyline. Could be fun. Next, on to page twenty-three. Here we are. Just a couple on this page. Here it looks like we have the new Punisher fighting somebody in the Punisher War Machine armor. Okay, we've I don't I don't know why we need a third Punisher. We've got already too many Punishers running around, so we got to bring back the Punisher War Machine. Oh well, they're gonna fight. Uh, anything to add about that? No, 
Okay, this next one is curious. It's more than a dozen very young-looking heroes in kind of a here-comes-the-team formation. Maybe a new Young Avengers, a new Champions, that kind of a thing? New Warriors. New Warriors. Some some young heroes team coming up, I guess. Uh, I recognize a couple of these characters. We see Spider-Boy there on the left. We see somebody with Ms. Marvel kind of logos, but definitely not Kamala Khan. I see a Magneto helmet on definitely not Magneto. Uh, <laughs> I see somebody with Wolverine claws who isn't Logan. I don't think is even Gabby. What do you think is going on here? This looks like a very badly executed young team where they just decide, let's create a whole bunch of new characters that nobody knows. More than anything else, it looks to me like a Marvel version of all those sidekicks from the Stargirl Lost Children story. Did you read that, read that over on the, uh, the DC side? Mm-mm. Well, the idea was that all the may, all the heroes you ever heard of in DC, they all had these sidekicks back in the Golden Age that for were like, kind of deleted and removed and hidden away from time, and now they're back. So that's why that's what this looks like. Is it's like if you had to imagine what a young sidekick would look like for Magneto, which is funny just to say, that's who this seems to be. Curious to see what happens there. Okay. This next looks image. like a book I will not read. <laughs> <laughs> but it also looks like a book that could be Jim's favorite book, so we'll see. He, he does love the young heroes, and he has been enjoying the, uh, the lost children. So if, if Marvel could pull it off as well as DC, could be fun. Uh, next image, we see kind of this ghostly blue cosmic figure. Maybe Franklin Richards? Yeah, why not? I, that's all I got there. Uh, next, we have two cosmic god types, one gray and one golden. Looks like maybe abstract entities like Eternity and Infinity maybe related to the Hickman Gods series? Yeah, my guess was this was just like the final revelation of the powers that be and the whatever the right. group the is. the science side and the magic side. Yeah. Yeah, could be. That's that's a better guess than I got. Uh, the only other we, thought is I looked at the – there's like a man and a woman as well shown there and I was like, is that man um, – what's his face? The time traveler, Luke Bishop. I was like, but I don't know. I don't know who the woman would be. Maybe uh, almost like oh, Sori from Black Panther, Moon Dragon, or something like that. I don't know. Her name they're, is. They're, they're very abstractly drawn, so we can project pretty much whoever you want to be these faces. Okay, next image we see Scarlet Witch fighting some lady with a traffic cone on her head. I, I don't know who that is. Uh, I, I don't know some 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 magic lady she's going to fight, and she's making kind of Doctor Strange symbols with her hands. Yeah. Uh, next, moving on, we have Black Panther squaring off against Penance, as in Monet St. Croix from Uncanny Avengers. What in the yeah. hell is going on here? Yeah, don't ask me. That's, again, I'm just excited to see any kind of uh, X content here, and I, yeah, I don't know why they would fight each other. They both got claws, so, you know, claw versus claw, makes sense. Okay. Heroic misunderstanding, that's what it always is, right? Yeah, it's going to be one of those, they fight for a page and a half, and they realize they're on the same team, and then they go to take on the real enemy. Okay, last page, page 37. Uh, first panel, we see Steven and Clea Strange, and they appear to be holding a baby and making kind of goo-goo faces at it. So uh, are they going to have a kid? Could be fun. I mean, maybe that's why Dr. Doom becomes the Sorcerer Supreme. Maybe he takes, maybe some he time takes off to- parental leave. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what the uh, Sorcerer Supreme parental leave act is like, but I hope he gets a few weeks with his new kid. Be nice. Uh, next panel, we have four bad guys. We got a wolf man with kind of technology tubes in his gut. We have a guy in a suit. We have a monster with stalactites come out of his head, who might be a Deadpool villain called Shrek or Terror. And then we have, uh, I think that's Dracula at the end. Could be related to that Blood Hunt event again, or maybe an entirely separate horror team. Yeah, I don't Do you know. you recognize any of these other guys? Not at all. Yeah, this is the stuff where I'm just like, okay, whatever. Something on the spooky side. Next panel, we have Cap fighting somebody wearing bright red Iron Man armor. So I can't tell if this is Tony and it's like Civil War Part 7, or if it's just somebody else wearing Iron Man kind of armor. I've got a speculation that this is the uh, Ultimates. Oh, okay. The, uh, the the new Ultimate Universe? Yes, exactly. This would be yeah, my I speculation. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. We have that whole other universe going on, so maybe. Next panel, we see Bucky punching, well, he's punching a pale Godzilla who has American flag <laughs> markings all over him. Now, I, I think this is actually an existing character named... Are, are you ready for this character name? Yeah, lay it on me. Todd Zilla. <laughs> That's his name. His name is Todd. Last name, Zilla. Todd Zilla. Okay. Uh, 
aka American Kaiju. He he was a super soldier serum experiment gone wrong from Al Ewing's Avengers in 2015. Okay. And that's who it looks like to be. It looks like uh it was like Godzilla, but the, who is uh who is the uh, Captain America bad guy with the flag tattoo on his neck? Nuke, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of looks like a nuked version of Godzilla, but I, I think I think it's Todd. Is Winter Soldier back to being Bucky, or is this maybe a flashback? Oh, I don't know, because, yeah, he's got this other weird controlling the world kind of a role right now. The Revolution, I think that's what he goes by. Yeah, I don't know. He, it's it's a guy with a mask and a, a metal arm, so it's got to be Bucky, right? Yeah, it, it certainly is, yeah. Anyways, this is ridiculous enough that uh, I'll probably have to check this out. <laughs> it looks so funny. Google Google Toddzilla. You'll be glad you did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we have Iron Man again, this time with a pointy kind of Kirby-esque machine pointing at his chest. He's always had problems with the whole shard of metal in his chest near his heart, so maybe it's related to that? I don't know. I just thought this was maybe the end of the um, current run where he's getting his fancy Mysterium armor. Oh, this could be the construction of the new armor? Mm-hmm. Could be. Could be. And now, finally, our very last panel, we have a shadowy X-Men team. Uh, it's all in silhouette, but we do see a Magneto kind of helmet, and we do a, see a Cyclops kind of a visor, plus three other characters who could be just about anybody. So, I, again, I'm going to think this is the Tom Bravort X-Men run being foreshadowed, but so vaguely that, yeah, there's going to be a Magneto in it, and there's going to be a Cyclops in it. Yeah, yeah maybe he's in a chair, so maybe he is the new Xavier, mm-hmm. and then you say it's hard to tell who the characters are, I agree, but there's a long-haired person, so it's either Emma or Jean, is my guess. And then who the two random males are, they're not Wolverine, hooray. They're not Beast. <laughs> and they're not Beast, yeah, but outside of that, it could be almost anyone. Could be Bobby. Could be, I'd could say be not anybody. Cable, not not Colossus. Nobody, nobody big and goony. It looks not like two kind of slim, regular standard human cheap dudes. Yeah. Not, yeah, not Poppy. Yeah, I really have no idea who those two random people are. Because a lot of X-Men, you'd be able to guess who they are, right? Who's so generic that you'd just be like, who is right. that? We got, we got no horns, we got no funny headgear, just kind of regular head shape. Well, that is the book, and yeah, boy, how to score something like this, I have no idea. I gotta say, the art looks amazing, right? Juan Cabal has to draw all kinds of crazy stuff. He had some retro work from the Heroes for Hire, Far future Conchu magic tech, how to draw Toddzilla, all these crazy characters, uh, 40 pages worth. It all looks great. So huge, huge credit to Juan Cabal for all this incredible art. Uh, the main story, again, the emotional stakes weren't quite there. I see it makes sense to try to lean on this existing relationship between the two dudes, but would have would have been nice to know really what the hell was going on. But uh, I, in the end, I think this book did what it was supposed to do. It accomplished its assignment. And it looked way better than it had any right to in doing it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be pretty positive and give this uh, a seven point five out of ten. I, I had fun looking through it. Had fun picking out these crazy things in the background. It you know that's its job. It's did what it's supposed to do. Seven and a half. Why not? I had a I had a lot of fun talking to you about it. So maybe maybe my score should be higher. But I just gave it a six. It was fine. I didn't Completely love the art as much as that, you. Yeah. Uh, and I was just reading it for the story, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on or why i should care about any of this i yeah, sort of I think, hate mm-hmm. i guess i'm burned out on like the the marvel like let's fast forward to like two years from now and everything is screwed it <laughs> feels like that's been beaten to death like that general plot line fair enough but it's all right i mean i'm more excited now that we've talked about these like pictures and maybe some of the issue for me was like i just had no idea what i was looking at all right now on to our actual new xbox of the week starting with x-force number 47 the greenhouse Written by Ben Percy, art by Daniel Picciotto, colors by Guru Effects, letters by Joe Caramagna. Now, this issue is all about transitioning between kind of eras. We need to regroup after half of X-Force busted the other half of X-Force out of Mikhail's pocket dimension. We need to have everyone start coming to terms with Colossus, been, you know, who was mind-controlled and now back on the team. We need to bring Logan back into the book for at least one issue. And we need to set up a new X-Force status quo going into the whole Fothox Rotpox era. And I'd say Ben Percy gets all four of those jobs done, which gives him points for efficiency, if nothing else. So Logan gets brought on board right away. First page. He's in upstate New York, about to be murdered to death by a pair of Stark Sentinels, when he's rescued at the last minute by Sage and the Bluebird. Uh, again, Romeo no longer using the Bluebird, 
It's owned by X-Force now. Uh, I suppose we're to assume that this pickup takes place right before Logan went to Latveria in X-Men 28? Does the rest of the issue take place after X-Men 28? Does it matter? I don't Unclear. They're trying to do synergy like that. Oh, well. I like to do synergy. But at any event, Logan's back with X-Force. So next, we have to get X-Force a new home base. And that's done quickly as well. Their new home is at the North Pole for reasons of, I guess, the magnetic field confuses things and it's desolate and they can see bad guys coming. Plus, it looks cool. Why not? Black Tom pilots their mobile base to the site and transforms into a stationary greenhouse, which provides an excuse for Colossus to do some gardening, which we know he enjoys. That's nice. Mm-hmm. There's lots of room in the greenhouse, uh, so they're going to need some more immunes to fill it up. Logan tells Kid Omega, young version, to send out a psychic Ali Ali oxen free to all mutants still on Earth. Quentin does his best, but his powers are still on the fritz for reasons not so well explained back since the whole trip to the future ended in issue 42. Now, Ruben, do you see any problems with uh, Omega calling out to all mutants on Earth and saying, hey, here we are at the North Pole? Any possible downsides here? <laughs> well, there's some mutants that are part of Orcus, right? There sure as heck are. I mean... I was going to say Shaw. He's technically not immune anymore, but they don't know that. Well, Celine, uh, Celine certainly is. And what was the uh, the guy in the um, X Men Unlimited? I mean, he got demoted oh, right. to janitor. But right. Uh, no, wait. He got killed. Right. Never mind. There's a, there's a few of them though. I mean, I guess Angela as, wouldn't wouldn't spoil it again. But they don't know that. As far as they know, Starfire is still you know a turncoat. So I should have mentioned. Oh, by the way, maybe Keep not some people all mutants. But. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Uh, Quentin passes out from the effort, but it must have done something as three mutants from Alpha Force come running. Uh, North Alpha Star Sorry. and Alpha, is that Alpha Flight, of course. Three mutants from Alpha Flight come running. North Star and Aurora and a dragon Logan's son, Akihiro, with him. Now, Akihiro was going by Fang and Alpha Flight. I'm going to say it wrong. Again. <laughs> Alpha Flight, yes. You just say Alpha and I'll, I'll fill in the blank. <laughs> So he was going by Fang in that book, but uh, I don't know if that was just a that book thing. In this book, he's only referred to as Akihiro. And they say they got there so fast because they're in Canada, which, you know, Canada, North Pole, kind of nearest neighbors there. Uh, but the last time we saw this gang, they weren't in Canada, were they? Where were they? Do you remember where they were? Um, no. They were okay. on the Alpha Flight satellite, having been teleported there by Heather, uh, Nemesis. Now, I had thought the implication was that this gang was going on to Chandelar. With the rest of the rescued mutants? Just dropping people off. I guess they just went there and they went back down to Canada. They probably had to continue hiding in Canada because, you know, Department H is still after them. But uh, now here they are at the greenhouse, which I like to think that they call Krakoa even further north. That should be our new name for this. Now, by the end of this issue, some more mutants have arrived, kind of generic ones, bringing the total population of the greenhouse to at least a couple dozen. So what what do you think of this new greenhouse headquarters? It's fine, except for the fact that you just <laughs> ruined the whole idea of it being hidden for me, which I, I was okay with. <laughs> That's my job. We'll just say the magnetic fields still make it hard to pinpoint, even if they roughly know where they are. And we don't see how these other mutants arrive. I mean, if you want to say that North Star and Aurora can just run slash fly there, that's fine, but I think most non, you know, alpha type mutants are going to have a tough time getting to the North Pole. So I'm curious, you know, you can't just step through a portal anymore. Wonder how people are going to actually show up. Okay, let's go back to poor Quentin Quire. In his unconscious state, he's having nightmares of the gala, especially of his on again, off again girlfriend, Phoebe Cuckoo, calling out to him for help. Seems the guy's got a lot of guilt for not having been there to save the day when Orcus came calling. Sorry, I paused a cough there. Uh, I mean, he does, he has this, his image of himself as he is the Omega, and he thinks if anything goes wrong, you know, he should have stopped it, which is an interesting personality quirk there. He also has a strange perspective because he hasn't done all that much. Like, they claim he has a lot of power, but wasn't he also the one that was, like, killed the most during the X-Force run? That has been one of the more interesting character traits, character arcs of the Ben Percy, right? He's not that big on character, it seems. But the Quentin Quire thing has been interesting. So he's visited in his unconsciousness by Logan, who kind of half-heartedly apologizes for being such a jerk to him earlier. And I guess that's all Quentin needed, as he then wakes up and immediately rushes off to fetch Phoebe, who he somehow sensed where she was. He's the Omega. Uh, 
he seems back to full strength. He sends out this kind of psychic chaff to jam the Orca's tracking systems, which looks kind of cool. He flies to the ruins of the Hellfire Gala and finds Phoebe in diamond form, trapped under a bunch of rocks and rubble. And she remained unconscious through the end of the issue, so we'll have to wait and see if she recovers, if there are a couple again. Could be interesting. They've had an interesting uh, relationship arc. And, you know, so much has happened to both of them. Could go either way. Yeah. I actually found that an interesting dynamic. And I didn't even know the cuckoos could turn diamond form, so that was also interesting to see. I wasn't sure if I knew that or not. It makes perfect sense, right? They're kind of like smaller versions of Emma, and collectively they can do things that Emma can do, but individually they're just kind of not not quite as strong versions of her. So, sure, I mean, if she's going to go into like protective hibernation, she's going to do it as a diamond. Makes sense. Yeah, and I have this like recollection that when you're in diamond form, you don't need to eat or something like that. But We know they don't age, because that was the whole thing when, when Emma had her uh, narration issue in Immortal. She said that's why she sleeps in diamond form, because she doesn't wrinkle. Good to know. <laughs> so, again, at the end of the issue now, uh, the last big revelation is that our heroes are being watched through a rifle sight by none other than former X-Force boss man himself, Beast. Beast's only line to us and to himself is, quote, It's good to see you're all alive for now. And we're left to guess at what Beast's motivation is here. Now, what, what do you think he's doing here? Do you think he's out to murder his, his team for betraying him? Or do you think he's still kind of, oh, I'm here protecting Yeah, I think he still thinks of himself as like the, the mutant that does what has to be done to keep people alive. He just happens to have a rifle with a scope. I don't view that as like threatening. Which makes an interesting contrast with what we were just saying about Quentin Choir, who also thinks he's the indispensable mutant, but, you know, lets that show in a, a really different way. So, okay, good to have Beast, Beast come back. He, he, we need to have his character arc finish up somehow before we get the big reset. We'll see what happens. Oh, uh, there was one other bit I skipped past. Uh, Colossus says that he wants to talk to Logan about Sabretooth. Uh, the conversation doesn't really happen right away, interrupted by Quentin and Diamond Phoebe arriving. But presumably Colossus, I guess, wants to let Logan know that Sabretooth uh, ain't in the pit no more. So setting up the Sabretooth War arc of the Wolverine title, which starts in you know just over a week from our recording. So we don't know, is Wolverine going to be in both books, or is he only going to be over in Wolverine? doing stuff with Sabretooth. And that's the issue here. Well, the artist on this issue is uh, Daniel Picciotto, who I'm sure I'm saying wrong. Uh, he's on this for just one issue before turning things back over to Robert Gill. Uh, he is an Australian artist whose only prior work for Marvel, as far as I can find, was a four-issue Danny Ketch Ghost Rider mini with Howard Mackey this past summer. I'm going to say I like his work on backgrounds and techno-gadget stuff more than I like his human kind of figures. They all kind of have this hobbit-like feel to them, kind of short and squat, which works fine for Logan, maybe not so well for characters like Domino, who's supposed to be, you know, graceful. Gets the job done, works fine, be nice to see Gil back next time out. So overall, I thought this was a mostly decent, kind of workmanlike issue, nothing super exciting and memorable, did what it had to do. It is an important issue to read if you want to kind of know what X-Force is going to be up to going forward, but aside from the new location, kind of a little bit of a retread. Quentin getting his mojo back, Colossus struggling to understand his place on the team, Beast out there causing problems. Yeah, put that together with art that isn't really my cup of tea, and I'm going to give X-Force 47 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'm slightly more positive than you on this one. I thought that the character moments were a little bit stronger than what I've seen from Ben Percy before. Particularly liked the um, conversation between, uh, is it Akihiro, his son, and Logan, um, which I kind of was like, it, it was nice to see Akihiro being like, why didn't you worry about me? And then Logan's like, I know you're a tough son of a bitch. Like, I don't have to worry about you. I know you'd be alive. Yeah, that was that made sense for the characters. That he would be that kind of a jerk. Yeah, yeah. So I, it was good for me. And then I, it was kind of nice to see the Alpha Flight people show back up. Um, again, I, I think during the whole time we reviewed Alpha Flight, I kept saying, like, why do I care about this group? Or should I care about this group? <laughs> and I still don't know that I have, like, a strong opinion of them, especially, like, Polaris and... North Star, which are always like presented Aurora. as super powerful, yeah. or Aurora, yeah, always presented as like extremely powerful. But I didn't, you know, I never have like an opinion of their personality. Maybe this is an opportunity for somebody to finally convince me that you know these are characters I should love. But regardless, it was fun to see them, right? And I kind of like the idea of seeing them get involved with X Force. Yeah, the, the the continuity doesn't work perfectly, but 
you can tell they're trying. Oh, we got this character from this book coming back in because of, you know, we're moving on to new era. So uh, yep. in theory, I like it more than I like in practice, but in theory, and I like then, it. Yeah, and then Quentin kind of getting back on, you know, I've, I've been kind of tired of his, like, my powers kind of work, they don't work thing. So I'm hoping that gets wrapped up soon and we could just see some resolution to, like, what's going on with him. Would be good. I'm definitely interested to see, like, how Phoebe and him kind of relate after this, or f- however you say it, Phoebe, whatever her name is, Phoebe, yeah. So, yeah, all that I like. Um, so, yeah, sub five for me. Okay, on to our fourth and final book of the week, which is, it's the big book. It is Immortal X-Men number 18, the last of that series. It is written by Kieran Gillen, art by Juan Jose Yerrip for the second issue in a row, uh, colors by David Curiel, letters by Clayton Cowles, and designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. Now, this issue has a really cool Mark Brooks cover. We don't often talk about the cover, but this one is this one's striking. It's Mother Righteous dropping a handful of X-Men down towards her own open mouth. It looks it looks great. I mean, this is if I was like browsing comic books, this is the one that would catch my attention. I do wonder why Cyclops is one of the cover characters, though, as he doesn't appear in this issue and barely appears in the title at all, but I guess, you know, Scott being on the cover sells more copies than, like, <laughs> you know, Destiny would have made more sense, but yeah. Scott sells books. So this is the Mother Righteous narrated issue. She was never actually a member of the Quiet Council, but she's been pulling everyone's strings behind the scenes for some time. So I, I'm fine with her being the narrator. Plus, in this issue, she tells us her whole plan directly. No more secrets. But... Let's first deal with the Xavier side of the narrative. As you probably remember, Xavier and the ghost of Sinister who lives in his head uh, arrive at Moira's old lab on Muir Island to access the data left behind in Sinister's Moira engine. They're looking for clues to the Essex to the they're looking for clues to the identity of the Essex who becomes a Dominion. They're looking through the files in the various iteration of the universe, and they find that Doctor Stasis and Orbis Stellaris both took their shots at Dominionhood, both failed. In fact, it's said of both that they were, quote, consumed, which is a creepy word to use. Uh, I'm guessing that has to do with that existing dominion already being out there. So they also discover in the data that Mother Righteous is the missing fourth Essex, which we already knew, but they didn't know it. I did like the bit where Charles is confused as to, hey, why didn't I figure that out earlier? And Sinister just says, ah, it's story magic, the kind of thing you don't question, like the hidden identities and Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Makes perfect sense. and. You know, the thing is, we're reading a comic book, so that same story magic works on us, too. Uh, really, what it reminds me of is how no one notices Clark Kent looks exactly like Superman, just with glasses on. We don't need to question it. it. It works. And that really sets up a major theme of this whole issue and of the whole series, which is the idea of stories as magic. And the Xavier Sinister part just kind of stops there. No real resolution. As far as we know, when this book ends, those two are still just sitting in the old lab. Well, there's some interesting stuff, too, where Xavier reaches out and borrows skills from computer hackers, which I didn't know he actually had the ability to do that. But um, I guess he'd be able at least to talk to them and get, like, how do I hack this? <laughs> but it's portrayed more as, like, that he can, like, tap into other, you know, geniuses and borrow their I powers. I read less as, like, hope who can borrow mutant powers and more like he can read their mind and kind of read their skills and use their skills. It, w- it was done really well. It, it's not super important to the story, but I like the way Kieran Gillen writes all these characters, but especially Professor X. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, I never thought of that power that Xavier would have, which was fun, right? Because he's a character you've seen for decades, years, right? Yeah, and he might not use it all the time, but you know, in this particular situation, he's in a hurry. Makes sense. Okay, off to the white hot room side of things. And I, I do respect that Kieran Gillen is completely upfront. The white hot room doesn't make a damn bit of sense. <laughs> right? He doesn't pretend. He knows he admits it's all hand waving <laughs> top to bottom. Yes. He even has Mother Righteous admitted. He calls it all, oh, it's all a bunch of woo, a bunch of woo, woo, woo. Yeah. Nonsense. So thank you, Kieran. Don't, you know, don't pretend. Yeah. This is apparently not the definitive explanation of how the white hot room works. <laughs> It's it's very Grant Morrison. Yeah. Very Grant Morrison. So Mother Righteous is marching a still very confused Jean Grey out into the middle of the white hot room desert. And let's just lay out her plan here. So Jean Grey is apparently all confused because you know she's tied to the white hot room. White hot room now has a zillion mutants walking around in it. It's just gonna you know throw off her whole mind. Okay. Uh, yeah, also- they roughly try to say that she and the white hot room are one and the same. Because she and the Phoenix are perpetually connected. 
And so it's like she's walking through her own mind, but she's in her mind. She's got the minds of all these other mutants that happen to be there right now. So I guess that'd be confusing. That's the part where I say, okay, I'm fine with that. Uh, and also, this both is and isn't the real Mother Righteous. So Mother Righteous is not a mutant herself, which means she's not allowed to enter the white hot room. I guess yeah. that's a rule. Yeah, so I didn't she- know about that rule, so that I felt like maybe I would have picked up on this being weirder you know, later. But we had seen that she was both outside of this area and then also obviously that she was in it. And that part did ma- seem weird, but I always thought it was like that she was going in and out of the white hot room. What it is, is she makes a magical life-size doll version of herself, not in a sexy way, and she infuses it with a bunch of Krakoan thank yous. All, everything here is powered by the thank yous that she got from the whole island back when she came back from the, uh, the sinister future. So that's why in issue 15, Hope scanned Mother Righteous and verified that she was a mutant and that she had this very large number of very small mutant gifts. And that's because she was borrowing all these teeny, teeny, tiny little bits of gifts from all these other mutants. It makes sense. High hangs together. The real Mother Righteous outside is piloting the doll version like by magical remote control. I was okay with that. Magic, you could do whatever, right? Yeah. And I like the way that explained the whole she is and isn't a mutant bit. So the doll Mother Righteous takes Jean Grey up this crazy Tower of Babel kind of structure to the heart of the White Hot Room. Jean Grey in the White Hot Room is going to provide the energy that Mother Righteous wants to use to attain Dominionhood. And here's where the issue goes, Super Grant Morrison. The heart of the White Hot Room is a pure white sheet of paper. You've read, uh, like, his Animal Man, you've seen this kind of thing before. <laughs> uh, Mother Righteous stabs Jean, killing her, I guess, and uses Jean's blood to write on that pure white of sheet of pure white sheet of paper the following. Once upon a time, always a good start, there was a simple girl from Essex. She became a Dominion. She lived happily ever after. And it looks like it's going to work. Uh, Ruben, does it, does it work? Does Mother Righteous become the Dominion we've all been fearing? No. No, she doesn't. She pulls back the white paper. Like a quarter of a page, page kind of pops yeah. up. And she sees burning flames that say, you know, however his his mistress of stories should have known there's, there's always a twist always a behind twist. you. Yes, and that's and they talked before about how stories always have a twist. Now this I it might be like Mother Righteous talking to Shaw, right? He made a deal with her to own the island, but because it's storybook logic, he wins but he loses. He gets the island but nothing of value on it. Here she gets her storybook, but there's a twist at the end, and she kind of looks up and out of the page, out of the story. And she gets squished by an unseen hand. She's not really dead, though. Just kind of her story here is dead. And at this point, Exodus, Hope, and Destiny finally catch up to Mother Righteous. They've, they've been following her since, you know, early on. Uh, Destiny kicks Mother Righteous right in the head, knocking her mask off, revealing the heart on her forehead. Uh, Destiny knew all along that this attempt at Dominionhood was not going to succeed. It couldn't succeed. Destiny knows what's really going on, but she couldn't ever speak of it or act too directly because, well, the Dominion's watching. And if you try to act against the Dominion, Dominion's going to squish you. And Ruben, who who is the real, actual, existing Essex Dominion? Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so basically, the original Essex who created the four... Um, suit Essex's, I guess, died, but he created an AI before he died. Before he, was it suicide? I don't remember how he died, but he died. He died. So, basically, he, was just, he was worn out by, I think, basically by the whole Mr. Sinister thing that was happening to his body since Apocalypse, right? He couldn't really physically handle it, I think, was the, the idea. So, he basically, I mean, if, if you go all the way back to that further adventure story with the origin of Sinister, his whole agenda was like, or his his whole like motivation was he was he was projecting into the future that AI would supplant humanity, right? And so yeah, this was just, at the, the very very beginning of anything that could possibly be called a computer. You know, your yeah. your Charles Babbage, your basically like weaving machines that you could program to make weaving patterns. But he could see, oh, we're going to get artificial intelligence one day, and it's going to replace humanity. And everything he's been trying to do is to defeat that. And so instead of defeating it, he decided to become or he decided to make the ai that you know defeats all other ais right <laughs> the four suited sinisters we thought were to try to find four chances to get a path to defeat the machines no but, but they were instead, just feeding information into the, the uber right. ai which they call enigma 
here. So every single time those sinisters would master a domain, uh, you know, a domain of whatever, what science and cosmic science and, and magic and mutants and yeah. cosmic, cosmic, and they would all try to ascend, and then they would just basically feed all their data into the AI, continuing to make it. Yeah, they had fail stronger. saves built into their programming because they were created by Nintendo Essex, and their only reason for existing was to feed this super AI. So we flash back to that location in Nathaniel Essex's rooms where we saw the broken Bakta tank type things that the forest citizens come out of, and you kind of pan up and you see they all connect to this one central crown, and that's what's now active. So the Dominion is an ascended AI version of Nathaniel Essex going by the name Enigma. Wow. Kind of a, I mean, I think at one point, one of the many, many theories we suggested was maybe it is the real Nathaniel Essex. So I think we said that theory, but we said like 75 other false theories. So I'm not giving us too much credit for seeing the future. <laughs> we didn't, we, I don't remember saying he was an AI, so I'm okay. Right. Like we were sniffing in the right <laughs> direction, but it was enough of a twist that, that um, for sure. I was impressed. Okay, and I say so- also is very timely, mm-hmm. right? Like this is something everyone's talking about. Um, my professional world is always talking about this, about, you know, how is society going to change with the advent of AI and the genies out of the box, right? Like, I think this part is sort of, in a way, eerie to me. Like, I, I kind of yeah. have this belief that AI is, you can't put it back, right? And honestly, the only thing you can really do is try to build in safeguards and um, hopefully this thing doesn't destroy humanity. Knock on wood. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it makes a thing. And that is the issue. And that's the end of the series. It did answer one big question, the identity of the Dominion. But left a whole bunch of stuff open. Uh, I'm still not really sure, and this is what I sent your DM about yesterday. What happened in the very first scene in the series? The one set in 1919, when Destiny whispers something to Sinister that makes him kind of collapse on the ground, seemingly dead, talking about, oh, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And then when Mystique asks Destiny, hey, what was that all about? Uh, Destiny just says, yeah, uh, don't ask me about that. You know what's interesting? I, I've been thinking about <clears throat> that since you asked me that, and I'm going to speculate because. The original, in Further Adventures, the original Essex did have the diamond on his head, but that diamond was more of a symbol of apocalypse, right? It wasn't a playing card thing. I think maybe that was the original Essex, and what she was showing him was this, that at the end he creates AI, right? And that's why he was having the the, Mm -hmm. crisis of conscience. And maybe that's what triggered him to clone himself and create those additional Essexes. And the reason I'm going to say that is when... Enigma is kind of like introducing himself. He says that I am a ghost. And if you go back to, oh, you go yes. back to that scene, like, you're a ghost. You're a ghost. Yes. So I, I'm. I mean, I'm maybe drawing like too that. strong a conclusion based on ghosts, but you see ghosts and ghosts referenced here. Multiple and it, times. it could have been that Destiny telling Sinister about Enigma was acting too directly against the Dominion, and this was the Dominion stepping in and saying, "Nope, nope, nope." can't do that so maybe that maybe him passing out and i don't know it he looks dead here but clearly he can't be quite dead unless yeah. because we see him maybe un- he did I die maybe maybe, maybe he died and then the the vaults opened right and then the diamond one steps but didn't out we see him die in prison in further adventures yeah the, the back history of mr sinister uh, i'd i'd read a wikipedia article that explains exactly what the heck went on but yeah we need another x-men blue number two <laughs> could be X Men Blue this, Origins. Yes. X Men Red Origins would be what what, uh, what he would yeah. be. Well, we we still have that to kind of be explained. Maybe it's explained. Maybe this is all Kieran Gillen ever wants to explain about it. But we're definitely going to see more of this Dominion, uh, whether it's in X Men Forever or in Rise of the Powers of X. Probably in X Men Forever. I think that's where the Dominion story is going to continue. Is my guess. Other things we don't know. Uh, well, Professor X still has that ghostly version of Sinister in his head, so that's got to go somewhere. Uh, the real Sinister and Doug Ramsey are still trapped inside Krakoa. we got to figure out what's going on there. So, yeah, plenty still to uh, to. I mean, most of the X-Men are still in the White Hot Room, right? Right. You haven't gotten out of the White Hot Room. And uh, was Mother Righteous? What is her status going to be now that, well, she took her shot and she lost? Is she now going to be aligned against the uh, the? Against Enigma, against the Ascended Essex Dominion AI, are all the Sinisters going to have to work together, or are they now, are they working for their creator? Are they against their creator? Who knows? So yeah, this was, this was a really good issue. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of bummed that Lu- Lucas Warneck, who is the main artist on this whole series, didn't get to finish out the last two issues. 
I, I really love that there was a visual identity to this book, and it was Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick's Immortal X-Men. It had, had an identity to it in a way other books didn't. So it's really a bummer he didn't get to finish it off. But once again, Juan Jose Enrique, he fills in really well. He's a fantastic artist. I even love that one kind of throwaway panel on page 17 that shows a bunch of monsters that Mother Righteous creates to slow down Destiny and Company. They only exist for literally half a page, but he, he puts in so much effort here. We see this demon vampire thing and a minotaur and Baba Yaga's cottage, this Medusa thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. You could write a whole mini-series, maxi-series just about the characters in this one panel who are never going to be seen. So can't, can't fault them for effort there. It looks great. And I think he might draw the best Mother Righteous we've yet seen. His Mother Righteous looks awesome. Looks sweet. Yep. She looks, I mean, I'm just going to say it, she looks really hot, and she's the detail on her face, both in the tattoos and in her emotions as she goes through this weird emotional arc that she's has has to happen this issue, it looks, it looks astounding. So it didn't answer all my questions, but it answered enough, and it did it in, in really good style. So I'm going to give this final issue, issue 18 of Immortal X-Men, I'll call it a 9 out of 10. Why not? Feeling nice. generous. Nice. I'm not quite that high because the first part of the issue really bugged me, but it okay. it ends really strong. And when we say what bugs me is that Kieran Gillen tries really, really hard to finally explain what Mother Righteous's powers are and how they work. Okay. And I read that multiple times and I'm like, it doesn't actually make as much sense as you think it is. And you're spending a lot of time trying to explain, you know, how thanking you gives you magical powers over people. But yeah, so that, yeah. that, that that part was kind of like, eh, it's not working for me. But then it gets to the part with um, Charles and, you know, Diamond Sinister. And that was really solid. And then the Ascension, you know, another person failing. And then you get the, like, big shock of, like, I'm Enigma and I'm the original Essex. And that was, I was like, whoa. <laughs> that all worked really and, well. Yeah. And that, all that, that is, like, very memorable. It seems big. And I, I was just like, you know, getting online, trying to figure out, like, where is this story going to continue? Because I want to read it. Um, and overall, the whole series was awesome. So I'm going to say this is just an 8.5, but um, by far, this this run has been excellent, and I'm going to you know miss when Gillen is not writing X-Men books. Yeah, it has certainly been a highlight of the Krakoan era. After some of the, you know, Hickman left, and he was kind of a, a missing big idea guy. There's still you know, people who could write good comic books, and we like the way Al Ewing writes in, in X-Men Red, but I like the big ideas, and Kieran Gillen certainly brought some big ideas to the table, and that was fantastic. And he's he's got some more to go. He's got those two series going coming uh, up in the, in this new year. So that was the last of the books we're going to talk about. But uh, uh, since we finished up the Fall of X era, I guess, and we had all of those mini series, we thought we'd kind of finish up that era by ranking them because who doesn't like a good ranking? So. Uh, Ruben, are you ready to go first and tell us uh, your worst to first on the Fall of X miniseries? <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling we're going to be pretty close on this. I I'm expect gonna, so. I'm going to predict that I'm going to rate children more than you and Dark X-Men more than you, like higher than you, but I'm, well, I'm, I'd do, be surprised. I'm just doing the miniseries. I'm doing just the nine Fall of X miniseries. You can put okay. it whatever you want. I, I only I'm going to give books. all 14 anything that oh, wow. was in this series, like one through 14 and I'll go fast. So Realm of X was garbage. That's my worst book. Do you want to ding that? Is that where you landed? <laughs> Miss Marvel, second worst. Just ding when you agree. <laughs> More or less. Okay. This one I think you'll be you'll disagree with me about. I Wolverine is my number three worst. I have I don't wow. even remember what the hell we read. It was, I think it was just a bunch of weird crossovers. It had it had crossovers. It was it was all the action stuff. Yeah. The and space some of them we liked, some of them we didn't. I probably wouldn't have put this as my third worst, except that last issue is so awful with space physics that don't work. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed laughing at the bad space yes. physics. Uh, Astonishing Iceman, number four. Nothing happened in it, and a lot of just filler. The end was stronger than the rest, though. That's why I put it a little bit higher than Wolverine. Okay. Uh, Uncanny Avengers, number five. Okay. How highly did you rate that one? I'm curious. Uh, you do yours, I'll, I'll do okay. mine when you're done. All right. X-Force, Alpha Flight, Dark X-Men, X-Men, Invincible Iron Man. This is where I say, from here on, I just actually enjoyed every single issue of these books. Mm -hmm. um, X-Men Red, Uncanny Spider-Man. Um, did not expect to rate that as high as I did, but I felt like it did a lot with um, 
I think that maybe the revised version of Nightcrawler was important. And it was, uh, I even kind of liked introducing Kurt and Sable as a, you know, potential paramour pairing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Children of the Vault, that's just a personal <laughs> greed one. But I think I said, you know, the writing and the big ideas were well executed. And I'm really, I forget who the writer was, but I'm hopeful that he gets more X Men um, books in the future because he had some really interesting kind of storylines and plots in that run. And then Immortal, uh, I probably could have predicted that would be the best when we started all of this, but it delivered. I think it was the one book you probably should have been reading if you care about this era of X-Men. That's a good list. And the writer of Children of the Vault is Dennis Camp. So, yeah, we both liked him. Okay, so, yeah, you went in more detail than I did because I only did the the, the nine miniseries. I think I, I largely agree with you on the, the ongoings as well, but I'm just going to rank the miniseries. And for me, they really break down to three groups. We've got three actively bad books, like just, just for very bad. And from nine, eight, and seven, uh, number nine, the worst of the worst was Realm of X. Number eight, I have Uncanny Avengers. And number seven, I have Ms. Marvel, the new mutant. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uncanny was bad, wasn't it? Surprisingly bad. And I actually yeah. think Duggan is a good writer. So I was surprised. Yeah. That was a, how a bad it was. I mean, we kind of, kind of expected, always want to give any new series a chance. But Realm of X and Ms. Marvel not being our cup of tea was not a surprise. Uh, Uncanny Avengers being as bad as it was, that was a real surprise. So those were the, the three actual bad ones. Now, in the middle, there are three books that had they had some okay things about them, some issues or some moments. Where, yeah, that was kind of fun. But in the end, they didn't really work out. And those are number six, Astonishing Iceman. Number five, Jean Grey. And number four, Dark X-Men. And Dark X-Men really looked like it was going somewhere cool. And that last issue really left me to speak. Yeah, I even forgot about that Jean Grey series. So, man, there's 15. Yeah, I'd probably put somewhere in that range, though, towards the bottom. And then the three actually good books, the ones that I think you should actually go out and read, are number three, Alpha Flight, a really solid superhero comic book set solidly in the Orcus is Winning era. Good book. Number two, Uncanny Spider-Man, for all the reasons Ruben said, the characters and the setting and the the way it tied up lots of the things Cy Spur has been doing for years and years, really good. And number one, the best of the Fall of X minis is, damn it, it's got to be Children of the Vault. It feels like it ended a long time ago because it was only four issues and finished up a month ahead of everything else. But boy, it's just a, a really good four-issue story. It could be read all on its own, and it makes me want to read more Dennis Camp X-Men type books or yeah. Dennis Camp any kind of books. Nice. And that's where we are. Uh, next week. It's kind of a light week in that we only have one book on our, on our on our docket, but it is Fall of the House of X number one. So that's the biggest single issue we've had in a hell of a long time. There are some in you know, advanced review type talk coming out. I'm ignoring all of that. I'm waiting to get my review copy from Jim or pick it up on my own. And I want to read this, you know, without any preconceptions because I am very much looking forward to seeing what happens. And I think that's probably all we're going to talk about next week, unless we finally get around to doing our little, uh, you know, God's side book, if I get, get around to reading and get caught up on that. Sound like a plan there, Ruben? Yes, definitely. Well, uh, while people are cleaning up from their New Year's Eve parties and uh, doing other stuff, what do you recommend our loyal listeners do until they get to hear from us again next week? Read more X-Men books. <laughs>